Well, you can open your Bibles to Psalm 92. Psalm 92 is where we're going to be. And kids, you can be dismissed now to go to your classes. Psalm 92. We always, on the, the Sunday before Thanksgiving, we pause our, our journey through, our exposition through whatever book we're in, and we tend to go to the Psalms and consider this gratitude of the week that is before us and the thankfulness in our hearts. And I was just struck as I thought about Thanksgiving and the blessing that God has given us in Thanksgiving. It, it really is a timely blessing. We do this every year, but what a gift it is. I just think we live in a, in a country that has a, an established and reoccurring pause to, to express our thankfulness to the Lord. And we need it this time of year, right? We're dealing with increasing darkness as we head toward winter. Uh, we're, we're dealing with increasing uh, cooler temperatures. All of these things can be a little bit, well, some of you get excited about winter, but some of us are like, man, it's cold and it's, it's dark. And, and then it t- tends to accompany, at least in certain cycles, the political discouragements that we've experienced the last couple weeks here. And uh, so all of those things, in addition, maybe you throw in a cold or some sickness going around. It is good that the Lord has blessed us with a, a week to stop and just say, you know what? We have every reason to be thankful and grateful to God, even in the midst of the change of seasons, even when sometimes people are battling discouragement more at this time of year than others. It's good for us to be thankful. And One of the goals I have in studying this psalm together today is that it will equip us for the week ahead, that there will be kind of a roadmap for us to to chart the course through this week by what we study here today and and the things that the psalmist will put before us, that the Lord really will put before us. So I titled the sermon, You Have Made Me Glad. You Have Made Me Glad. And friends, that can be you today, regardless of the situation In Jesus Christ, you have the opportunity to be glad, to rejoice, to celebrate His love and His faithfulness. So let's dive in here. We'll just move our way through these verses. Um, At the very top of this psalm, you'll notice the title. It says, a psalm and then a song for Sabbath. And that is authoritative text, right? That is, a, that is included in the original word, and it, it comes to us under inspiration. And so when the psalmist finished writing this, he put the title on the top and gave instructions about when this song was to be uh, rehearsed and, and celebrated. A psalm That is, a song for Sabbath. So the Sabbath day was something the Lord blessed His people with. Um, But think of this. God ordained the Sabbath day before the fall. That says a lot right there. If we need it after the fall, I mean, all the more so. If God would bless us in this way. Look at, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 3, it says, So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, set apart, a day set apart, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Now we know that God was not tired or exhausted or worn out. So why did he rest, friends? He rested so that you would rest. He set a a pattern for us. He set us a, a one day in seven to pause and to consider the work of his hands. 
And as we pause, we ponder and we look and maybe we just can slow down on this one day and then respond in praise. And this psalm equips us for that. So for many, many years, it was Saturday, was the Sabbath day. But then at the resurrection of our Lord, that changed for believers, for the church. All of a sudden, it's Sunday, right? Resurrection day. It's the Lord's day. And so even in the early church, you see this this gathering point shift to Sunday, the first day of the week, a day to pause from work, to ponder the glory of God, and to praise Him. And we get to do that together. This is perfect. Why do we sing? Why do we celebrate? Well, because it's in here and he is worthy. And it's our right response when we see how glorious he is. So, delighting and declaring. On your sermon notes, you can fill this in as we go. Delighting and declaring. They go hand in hand for the believer. Verses 1 through 3. It is good, the psalmist says, it is good to give thanks to the Lord. To sing praises to your name, O Most High. To declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night. How do you do it? How are we to do this? Well, to the music of the lute and the harp and the melody of the lyre. So with instruments, he calls us to give praise to God. So there's a lot happening in here. Let's just break this apart here. I love the call here. It's, it's good, Christian. It's good for you to give thanks to the Lord. So it's not just on Thanksgiving, obviously, not the week of Thanksgiving only, every day, every day. But especially so as we move into this week, it is good for you to lock eyes with Him and see Him and sing His praises and declare His steadfast love in the morning and His faithfulness by night. To do it to music. So give thanks, sing, declare with instruments and song. I love the giftings that God has given people here with the various instruments and the worship team's work to to prepare and be ready so that they can lead us in singing. There's something that happens when we put the truth of God together with the expression of song and melody and music and harmonies. But it's not about the instruments, is it? That's not the main focus. The main focus is the God who is in view. It is His glory that we sing about. And the instruments are the supporting cast. They they help give expression to our praise. And they order and, and, and move it up to Him. What is in view here in these opening verses really is the person of God. Look at how the psalmist speaks of this. To the Lord, that's Yahweh, And to your name. What is the name of the Lord? When you come across this in your Bible, the name of the Lord is to be praised. We give thanks and and, and praise to your name. What, What does that mean? Well, the name of the Lord is all that he has revealed about himself. So think of this. The person of God on display, his attributes, his character, all that is true of him is praiseworthy. And it is in view when we worship Him. And sometimes we, in our songs, we bring out different aspects of His person and and different aspects of His glory revealed. This is right and it's fitting. And then the psalmist gives a little glimpse in here. He says, O Most High, El Elyon, right? The Most High God. He is sovereign. He is over all. He is King. He is unquestionably 
the one who rules and reigns, and no one threatens him. He is the Most High. He has always been and will always be. He is all-glorious in his sovereign reign and rule. So the person of God inspires gladness and gratitude and expressions of praise. Then he speaks about this, steadfast love in the morning. Now, why would we wake up and before our feet hit the ground in the morning, why would we thank God for his steadfast love? Well, one of the things I think in view here is this is the hesed love of God, the loyal covenant love of God. He has said, you are mine, and no matter what you face today, I am with you. You will be mine at the end of this day. I promise you that. I have you. I hold you. I sustain you. I give you what you need to face this day. So in the morning, the first thought as you praise God is, oh, thank you. Thank you for your steadfast love. Thank you that you love me. I don't deserve this, but you love me. You have set your love upon me in a covenant way through the finished work of Jesus Christ. Once your enemy, now I am your family. I'm seated at your table, right? I am yours eternally. So I enter into this day and I say, Lord, I thank you. I, th I rejoice that I know at the end of this day, your love will remain. Nothing can threaten that love or endanger that love. Nothing I face today, even death itself, can't separate me from your steadfast love. It is fixed it is loyal, and it is mine. That's a way to start a day. All of that is true before your feet hit the floor. Now, do you want to rejoice? Rehearse it. Rehearse it. Let the, let the song of your heart, first expression of your day be, oh Lord, you are glorious, you are mine, and you love me, right? And then you go to the end of your day. Think of how it goes. At the end of the day, as you lay your head on the pillow, what's in your mind? What's on your thoughts? What, what's happening as you rehearse and you look back over the day? Well, his faithfulness. Another day. Evidence of his love. His faithfulness. He keeps his promises. He, he delivers. He doesn't give up on us. He doesn't quit. He doesn't walk away. He answers our prayers. He is a faithful God. And so, as we lay in bed at night, and begin to drift off to sleep, we know he is faithful. You know, what's interesting about sleep is we're vulnerable when we sleep, you know? We're, we're, we're at our most vulnerable when we sleep. And so remind, be reminded of our, uh, reminding this to our hearts that, that God is faithful, we are about to fall asleep. But the one who watches over us does not sleep or slumber. He's ours, and he holds us. I like to be the most alert person in my family at night. That's part of my responsibility. I'm the protector, right? I'm the guy that runs and gets the gun. Okay, so I try my best to be alert and ready. And, and, and you know, if I hear something, well, I'm the guy that goes and checks it out. And the other day, Jenny woke up and went and, and got completely dressed and ready and went out the bedroom door and I didn't hear a thing. I felt bad. I, I have shirked the duty that is mine as protector. Well, guess what? The Lord was watching. The Lord knew. The Lord always watches. When we are at our most vulnerable, He is never 
vulnerable. He is the Most High. He is in control. And He is faithful. He is faithful. There's nothing that we can face on any day or on any night that is too much for Him. So we rejoice in these things. This is a, this is a, a 24-7 cycle of worship and peace that reminds us each step of the way we're His. And we have reason to rejoice. Now, verses 4 and 5, glory and gladness. Look at this. Glory and gladness. For you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work. You've made me glad. Glad. Happy. You've made me happy. You've thrilled my heart by your work. And then another way to say it. At the works of your hands, I sing for joy. And then another way to say it, how great are your works? Three different ways. Do you think he's overflowing? Look at, listen to the words. It's just like three different ways. Oh, Lord, look at what you do. You're blowing my mind with your works. And then he finishes with this. Your thoughts are very deep. Your thoughts. Well, how do we know the thoughts of God? How can anyone know the thoughts of God? Only when he reveals his thoughts in his word right? So he reveals his glory in what he has made, and he reveals his glory in what he has spoken. So his word. So his works and his word, they come together for us in a powerful mixture that brings gladness. Gladness and joy. I was struck by this. As we head into this season of, 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 uh, of the year where darkness is more and, and cold temperatures rain and sickness moves around and sometimes things don't go as we had hoped and, and when it relates to politics, uh, we have every reason to be glad. We, we can be glad. There's a path, though, to walk on this. What is the path? Well, the person of God is in view and then the works of God that reveal the person. Everything God does reveals who He is. A little glimpse more. Whenever He creates, whenever He displays His power in the stars, whatever it might be, it shows who He is. And in the Word of God. The Word of God is all about who? It's all about the Son of God. From cover to cover, it's a story of redemption. It's revelation that points us to Christ and our need, and, uh, and all that we have in Him. So all of these things reveal the glory of God, and they are given by God to stir our hearts. I like how Paul Tripp said it. If you've never read the book Awe, it's titled Awe. Just, it's out here. It's, it's spectacular. The whole book is given to the consideration of the glory of God and how it meets us in awe. He said it this way. God intentionally loaded the world with amazing things to leave you, Christian, astounded. The carefully air-conditioned termite mound in Africa, the tart crunchiness of an apple, and I would remove the word tart and change it with sweet, because I like sweet apples, right? But some people like tart. So the tart crunchiness of an apple, the explosion of thunder that shakes the earth, the beauty of an orchid. Oh man, we were in Maui a couple weeks ago and they're everywhere and they're all different colors and they're so fragile. And who made that flower? 
every single display of intricate woven color hanging right there. That's our God. The interdependent systems of the human body that we can heal from sickness, that we can heal from broken bones and and, and battles. And some of you are out here, you've had a year, right? I mean, it's been a year. Praise God that you're here. Praise God that you're, you're healing and upright. The inexhaustible pounding of the ocean waves and thousands of other created sights, sounds, touches, and tastes God designed them all to be awesome. And he's not using that word lightly. Awesome. Filled, overflowing with awe. Part of the experience of being a Christian is to regularly, daily even, be overwhelmed and amazed by the glory of God. He intended you to be daily amazed at him on display in all of these things. I love Psalm 19. It's one of my favorite psalms. It was read at our wedding. And um, Psalm 19 puts to practice the call of Psalm 92. Listen to this. The first half of Psalm 19 is all about the works of God. I'll read a few of those verses. The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech And night to night reveals knowledge. The psalmist goes on. But the second half of Psalm 19 is all about the Word of God. So the works and the Word of God in one psalm, all in praise. The psalmist writes, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right. What do they do? They rejoice the heart. That's a great way of saying it. God rejoices your heart when you lock eyes with him and his word day by day. Gladness and glory. Gladness and glory. Now we live in a fallen creation. We live in a a dark land. We are experiencing policies enacted by those elected And uh, some of those policies are incredibly evil, corrupt, violent, murderous. It's frustrating. It's disappointing when we lose an election the way we have. And I say we in the sense of those who seek to stand for what is right and honorable and upright and righteous in the sight of the Lord, not for that which would steal kill and destroy. And so we find ourselves battling this as well. How can we be glad? How can we have joy and gladness even when the results didn't go the way we had hoped and prayed? We remember verse 6. The stupid man cannot know. The fool cannot understand this, that though the wicked sprout like grass, and all evildoers flourish. They are doomed to destruction forever. But you, O Lord, are on high forever. For behold, your enemies, O Lord, for behold, your enemies shall perish, and all evildoers shall be scattered. Now those are pretty direct words, aren't they? I find in myself this this, this thing, yeah, but 
But we want salvation, and yes, we do. Absolutely we do. Where would we be without this? We are the fools. We are the stupid ones. We are the rebels, the haters of God, the promoters of evil. All of us, that's who we were, but grace, the grace of God laid hold of us and gave life to us and brought us up into the marvelous light of His glory and righteousness such that we love truth now when once we hated it before. We love what is right and honorable and, 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 and holy and righteous when once we knew nothing of that and cared nothing for that. The reality is, my friends, the difference between the righteous and the wicked is grace. We're not better, we're, we're not better than anyone. We are simply recipients of grace. And so it is right for us to say, oh Lord, save Save to the utmost, to the ends of the earth. Save, bring righteousness and, and salvation to the darkness and use us to that end. And at the very same time, we know that there are enemies of the cross. There are those who work hard to put down what we do here, to oppose it, to close down the freedoms that we enjoy, to stand against the, the, the rightness and righteousness of God. And it can feel at times as if they flourish. Stupid, foolish, foolish can be senseless, or that would be the unspiritual, the natural person. That's our autopilot when we're born in this world. We're rebels, haters of God. We are evildoers and enemies of God. He changed us. He brought us into the light, gave us life. But now, our longing is to see righteousness move to see light shine into the darkness. Hmm. Reminds me of Psalm 37. How do we process discouraging results from an election where it feels like darkness has advanced? We say this, fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way. Over the man who carries out evil devices, refrain from anger. Oh, Christian, know this. Hear this. Refrain from anger. <laughs> Forsake wrath. It, it tends only to evil, right? It, it's, it's, that's not going to solve it. Be reminded that evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. It may not be in this life. It, it, it may not be. As darkness increases and the end of, of the story comes closer, we know it's going to get worse. It, it's, it, this isn't going to get better. Things will get worse. It'll be darker, and then he will come. And we, by his grace, will inherit the land. In just a little while, right? Just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. Psalms like this equip us with hope, even when things don't go the way we pray and had hoped. Right? They, they give us gladness knowing that this story is not over. We may be outnumbered, but we will not be outlasted because His grace holds us. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. He is not. 
For whatever one sows, he will also reap. And that is a reminder for us, for our hearts. Now, in contrast to the grass that seems to sprout all around us, and it just is, is so distracting, and then we lock eyes and we're reminded, no, we will focus on you, Lord. You are our hope. You are our confidence. You are our rock. In contrast to the grass, it sprouts like wicked all around. Now look at what the righteous, those who are right with God, those who have found his grace through Jesus Christ, we are held secure and sustained. Secure and sustained. Verse 10, But you have exalted my horn, the psalmist says, like that of the wild ox. You have poured over me fresh oil. My eyes have seen the downfall of my enemies. My ears have heard the doom of my evil assailants. These are images that are foreign to us, but they're very normal from, from this day. In fact, the, the animal he mentions here has gone extinct way back in the 15 or 1600s. It was a massive cow that was scary and big and strong, and he had these massive horns. And it was a symbol of strength. And, and the psalmist says, you have exalted my horn. My strength has been renewed, and this fresh oil is it's just like your mercy each day. It, it just it softens me up. It, it, it gives me that renewal that I need. When I look to you, I have gladness. This is the grace of God. This is grace. This is not merited. This is not us. Notice who he's thanking. He's not saying, look at what we did. Look at how we stood. Look at how we have strengthened ourselves. No. He's saying, Lord, we praise you. You are the one who has done it. You are the one that we thank with gladness. Strength and protection is the work of God. The righteous flourish like a palm tree. They grow like a cedar in Lebanon, strong and true, tall. They are planted, or maybe more literally transplanted, in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of God. So, not like grass that sprouts up and then fades, but like a palm tree that has roots, rich soil, deep planting, strong and true in the house of the Lord. To praise Him. Like the trees, when the, when the, when, like the palm trees when the wind blows and their, their arms move and they praise the Lord. That's what the psalmist says believers are like in the courts of our God. Satisfied and fruitful, rooted and thriving. Not just surviving, but thriving. I'm, I'm talking like glad, rejoicing, celebrating, overwhelming joy and gladness. Thriving in his courts, singing his praise. And he goes on. They still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green. What? What's the goal of all of this? To declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock, the psalmist says. He is my rock. And there is no unrighteousness in him. They still bear fruit in old age. Now, it doesn't say they're not old. They can be old. But man, they're sappy. That's what my dad used to say when he preached this, this psalm. To be old and sappy, not sassy. Old and sappy, filled with the vigor of the glory of God, filled with the righteousness and joy and gladness that God gives when His people cling to Him. 
That's a vision for the Christian life. Lord, no matter my age, no matter my ailments, no matter my limitations, make me sappy, filled with with life-giving joy and gladness that flows from your beauty, your glory, your work. Savoring and singing through all eternity. What, death is going to stop that? No. No. Death doesn't stop this. This is a tree planted that will not die. Death is a door. It's not going to inhibit this, this praise. In many ways, it it, it releases it to its fullness, face-to-face with Jesus Christ. So our response this morning, as you think about what you might share in just a few minutes, be thinking about the pathway to gladness and joy that has been laid out before us by the psalmist. The strategy for thanksgiving gladness is focus your heart, your eyes, your soul, everything that you are on the person of God, His character, who he is. And then on the works of God, what he's done. Consider what he's done. Did you see the sunrise this morning? Wow. Perfect clouds lined up at the perfect time. The sun came up and red across the whole eastern sky. He did that to stir your heart to praise him. It's about him. And the word of God. If you're struggling for gladness and joy this time of year and your Bible is closed, you know one path forward if you want to rejoice. Open that Bible. Get in that book and behold the glory of God that is waiting to stir your heart to gladness. The strategy for Thanksgiving gladness. I would just say this. You have an opportunity this week to be in family gatherings with what I would call courageous gratitude. Courageous in that there may be some at the table that don't want to hear you talk about the Lord. Courageous gratitude in that you're going to do it anyway because He's worthy of it. And He has been faithful. His love is overwhelming. So you can go and share and and, and point to Him and just say, I just got to say, man, this is Thanksgiving. I am so thankful to God who through Jesus Christ has, and then you fill in the blank. Maybe what we do here today rehearses that and warms you up for that courageous gratitude that you can share for His glory and a witness to those who may not yet know Him. Let's pray. Oh God, we do say thank you. We express overflowing hearts of joy and gladness at your glory, the demonstration of your goodness and grace that we don't deserve, but that you have set upon us freely by your own favor, your own will. We say thank you for the greatest display of your love the world has ever known, that is the sending of your son, Jesus. He is our hope alone. We find in him life and forgiveness and joy and peace We thank you that we have a king, that we have a king who is alive. He is not dead. We thank you that he's coming again and that this this, sprouting of, of, of wickedness all around us that seems to flourish, Lord, is just momentary. It's just for a moment and it will fade and justice will fall and all things will be right forever. And so we rejoice. 
We celebrate your sovereignty over all things. We celebrate the work of your hands in the heavens and in the tiniest details of this earth. And we love your word, O oh God. It delights our heart. We pray as we go through this week that we would see and celebrate, that we would pause and ponder and praise you from the heart. Be glorified now, Father, as we share ways that we have experienced your faithfulness and your steadfast love this last year. In Jesus' name, amen.